Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 143 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is Line 360, an interview with Mimi McLean. My name is Richard Johannesson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. So Matt, we named this episode Line 360 for two reasons. First, it's the name of her podcast. But secondly, and more importantly, she really has seen the full circle of Lyme. She has seen Lyme disease from her own perspective. She's seen Lyme disease from the perspective of a wife because her husband has Lyme disease. And she's seen Lyme disease from the perspective of a mom because her daughter has Lyme disease. So she has certainly seen the full spectrum of Lyme. And I was hoping with a fellow podcaster, we'd be able to really drill down on issues that we maybe hadn't been able to spend enough time with many other guests, and Mimi did not disappoint. Rich, I couldn't agree more. As a fellow podcaster, Mimi went into such great detail about what she did to heal from Lyme disease. She literally told us she's done everything possible to heal from Lyme, except doing mushrooms. She's done frequency healing and used a free medical wearable device. She even talked to us about EMF exposure, and she had somebody come into her home and test all the different things in her home to see if they were emitting EMFs and harming her health. She actually told us that if you take this testing device and hold it up against an Apple charger in a wall, you would be shocked about the EMFs coming out of that Apple charger. She also talked to us in great detail about parasites, mold, heavy metals, and a wide variety of ways to treat these different things. Matt, Mimi was a wonderful guest. She made a confession to us about her greatest regret on this journey, which is she didn't take doxycycline, even though it was prescribed to her after she was bitten by the tick. And the second thing I really enjoyed about Mimi is she was willing to challenge me. And at the end of the podcast, she issued a challenge to me, which I think our listeners will really enjoy. So without further ado the host of Lime 360, Mimi McLean. Hey, Mimi, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Rich. Thank you for having me and Matt. We're really blessed to have you. So, Mimi, can you share with our um, audience uh, where you're calling in from today? Sure. I'm actually calling. I live in Los Angeles, but I'm actually in Connecticut now. That's where we we have a house in Connecticut, and we came here um, just during quarantine since everything's still shut down in L.A. and there's no school. Well, welcome, so. welcome to the East Coast, Mimi. And of course, where else would a Limey go except for Connecticut? Exactly. Lime capital of the world. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, welcome to the East Coast and welcome to the Lime capital of the world. So Mimi, can you share with us um, a little about your background? Where'd you grow up and where'd you go to school? Sure. Um, I grew up in New Jersey, so I'm a Jersey girl. Um, I went to school at Lafayette College in Pennsylvania, and I went to business school at Columbia Business School in New York City. Um, I have five children. Um, I've lived in Connecticut for 11 years, and then we picked up 10 years ago and moved to Los Angeles. Um, so we have been there since. So where did this Ivy League gal envision herself uh, before she had gotten sick? Um, you know, I have a really good, I'm very blessed and I'm very fortunate. I have a great life. I, um, I have, you know, as I said, I'm married, I have five kids. I, I love to travel. Um, I'm very active. I'm very type A. I never turn off. I never stop. I'm very entrepreneurial. So I, um, you know, I'm always kind of starting companies or doing, um, different things. I'm an angel investor. And um, before I got sick, actually, um, one of my investments, my angel investments, which is Beauty Counter, um, I actually signed up as a consultant. And so I was, um, I had a pretty big team that I was, um, you know, that I had under me that we were um, as, a, as a consultant for Beauty Counter. So um, I was super, super active, super involved and um, super involved in my kids' school. And, um, you know, just kind of your typical working mom. So let's let's um, give some context to our audience. Uh, when did you first start to show the symptoms of what you now know to be your Lyme disease? 
Okay. So I have a very unique case. So my husband and my daughter had Lyme before me. So I was very well versed in what Lyme is being from Fairfield County. Um, the first time we actually had an incidence of it, actually, this is a good story because my husband woke up one day and he was, it was on my birthday and he was deaf. He couldn't. How long it. ago? How long ago was this? This was probably 12 years ago. And he woke up and he was deaf. Like he literally couldn't hear. And he's like, Mimi, I can't hear. And I was like, what are you talking about? And, um, and then he started getting fevers and it was all this random stuff. And he went to um, the hospital after like three days. We thought he just had like the flu. And finally, like on the third day, they were about to give him a spinal tap because he just wasn't moving. He was in so much pain. And they're like, wait, you have ear lichiosis. And so they gave him, you know, morphine because of the pain. They gave him antibiotics, whatever. Long story short, after that, things started kept happening, like different random symptoms. And then I went to a school called Institute of Integrative Nutrition, IIN, in New York City. And I was sitting next to somebody. And all of a sudden, she said to me, you know, I used to be paralyzed. I was like, what are you talking about? She's like, I was on my deathbed. I had had Lyme. And she's like, I'm like, wait, my husband just like, you know, was recently diagnosed um, with ehrlichiosis and he's still having issues. And she's like, you need to go to see my doctor in New York City. So my husband had already been going to see this doctor in New York City, um, Dr. Maginero. And he, um, he was great. So my husband had already gone through this treatment. Then my daughter also started having symptoms. So I was kind of very well versed in, um, in Lyme. Um, and so when I got bit, I, um, I got bit, it was June, it was Father's Day of 2015. And um, I wind up getting bit and it was only on me for like an hour. So that saying that like, it has to be on for you for 24 hours is totally not true. If you think about it logically right now, like if you break the skin, right? Like it's in your bloodstream. So why does it matter if it's in you for 24 hours or not? It's, it's like, I say to people now, like if your skin is broken and you can see that it was like in your bloodstream, like, like it's probably most likely going to be in there. So it was only on me for like two hours. I, um, you know, well, how do you know recently that? had a, but I mean, how do you know? Because I people- just landed, I had just landed from LA and I was going to my dad's funeral to believe it or not. And, um, we were at the church and we were in the backyard having like a barbecue for his, um, funeral. And I got back in the car. So I literally had just landed. So I couldn't have gotten it any other time. So, and it crawled into, well, like, but maybe what had, well, let me ask you this. How do you know you didn't fly into New York with the tick biting you? Because in LA, I don't hike. I don't like, you don't, in LA, you don't really, it's not like I'm like hiking the Santa Monica mountains and stuff like that. So I, but there are a lot of ways. There are a lot of ways that you could have you could have come in contact with a tick. You could have had a pet with a tick on on it. So a family member could have had a tick on. There were a lot of different ways that you could have had a tick on you. And you know, one of the things that yeah. you know we've identified. Yeah. For example, last year Matt was bitten by a tick. Yeah. And when he came into my office and he showed me this tick that he had been bitten by, um, it looked like it looked like he hadn't had the tick feeding on him for very long. But because it was a nymph tick it was actually feeding on him for four days after we had the tick tested. So, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm always questioning, you know, when people mm-hmm. come to a conclusion about how long they had been bit or they had been bitten, whether or not we have the ability to really come to that conclusion without having it tested. And as it turns right. out, Matt was asked by his doctor what, how long he thought he was being bitten. And he said, oh, it must've just happened. I wasn't bitten all that long. And then w- when the tick was sent out for, for testing, it turns out he was, the tick was right. feeding on him for four days. Well, you know what the thing is, it was, it didn't hide in a like weird place. It literally was in my arm. 
Yeah. So like if I had like that morning, I would have seen it. Like it was literally right okay. here on my arm, which you would have seen if I was getting dressed. It wasn't like it was hidden somewhere that I wouldn't like my back or my ear or something like that, that people don't usually see it. So it was pretty prominent because that's how my son saw it. He's like, mom, what's that burrowed into your arm? Um, Cause it was summertime. So I, I would be shocked if it was any other time because I had just landed. And like I said, like it, you know, in LA, you're not, I'm not hiking and you know, I, I don't know. And so well, my pets aren't the type. So anyway, I would be surprised if it was somewhere else, but okay. maybe, so, I mean, I'll leave that open, but um, I, I'd be surprised. And also because I was actually in the back, like the, this backyard, like we we're having a big picnic with the you know lawn and all that. Right. Um, and so I was in the woods, like where, where there's deer and stuff like that. So that just made more sense to me. Um, anyway, so I didn't take the antibiotics because I just had a baby and I was breastfeeding and I was like, oh, you know, why, why? And I'm kind of was already, already holistic. Like I wouldn't take Tylenol if I had a headache. So I was kind of super opposed to having the antibiotics because I had an accident when I was little and I had tons of antibiotics and I just was like, I've had enough in my life that I don't need anymore. So I didn't take them, but I didn't then put the pieces together as things started unraveling. Like it should have like six weeks, like you know, maybe six weeks later, I had a huge, like I was traveling and I had like a 24 hour flu and I didn't think anything of it. I thought it was like something I caught on the plane. And then like a month after that, my feet started hurting. I started getting plantar fasciitis. And I thought it was just because I had like flip-flops from the summer and I was walking too much. And then like in September, my, my elbow or my shoulder, I had frozen shoulder. And my friend was like, I, who's a, you know, um, a rehab person, she was like, oh, that's from tennis. Like you're getting old and it's like from tennis elbow or, you know, frozen shoulders, what she called it. And so all these things started happening, but I just kept discounting it. And then all of a sudden my hip and my knee couldn't move. And I'm like, okay, this is weird. This is not, this is, and I started looking at the symptoms and I realized plantar fasciitis is one of the symptoms. And then I started getting ear ringing. That's one of the symptoms. I'm like, okay, I have Lyme. Like it's just, I saw the tick to do it. And so, so just, Mimi, I need yeah. to pause that because yeah. we, you've, you've, you've unboxed a whole bunch here that I think we have to explore together. Right? Yep. So you grew up on the East coast. You're a Jersey gal, right? Yes. You're an Ivy league educated woman, correct? Yes. I need to know in evaluating the decisions that you were making there, what you knew about ticks, tick bites and Lyme disease before all of these events began to develop. The only thing I knew was my husband. I'd never, and actually my dad had Rocky Mountain spotted fever when we were little and he was super sick, but I didn't even know that was related to a tick. I just knew Rocky Mountain. So I didn't really know anything about Lyme because New Jersey, you don't even think about Lyme that much. Um, or at least growing up, we didn't. Um, and so I didn't really know anything about Lyme until I, like I told you before, like when my husband got bit and then my daughter had it. So I was completely, except for what they knew, I didn't really dig deep into it. I only knew from what Dr. Manginero told us. And so let's unpack that, right? So, mm -hmm. so you grew up in New Jersey, which quite frankly is a tick endemic uh, mm -hmm. state. Uh, and you didn't receive- I know that, but back you, then we didn't know that. Certainly now know that, but you did not receive any education or training during your childhood that would have allowed you to protect yourself from ticks or Lyme disease, correct? Correct. All right, so now you, um, you are now uh, married, you have children, your husband gets Lyme disease, and even though he got Lyme disease and you were on this Lyme disease journey as a family, you didn't have enough information to protect yourself from a tick bite, 
nor from developing symptoms of Lyme disease, correct? Correct. And now you also now have a child who has Lyme disease before you get sick. And despite now dealing with all the challenges that you're dealing with with a child with Lyme disease, you again don't have the tools that you need to protect yourself from Lyme disease. Um, correct. And one of the things that you were not doing, which I hope you are now doing, is you weren't doing tick checks so that even though we're having this conversation today about your tick bite, because you weren't tick checking, you don't know when you ultimately were, were bitten by a tick and where that tick could come from. Um, yes, even though I assume it was that other situation that we talked about. Okay. So now... After you were bitten by this tick and you removed the tick, did you do anything to have the tick itself tested to give you information about what was spit into you by this tick? No, and the reason why, and I had done it for my husband when he had found a tick and I'd done it before when we found other ticks, but in my case, I did not because I was like, oh, it wasn't on me that long. Okay. So I was like, hey, it wasn't on me that long, it doesn't matter because it's only gone pain for less than 24 hours so it doesn't matter. So I was like why bother? So now let's talk about let's talk about the the early intervention opportunities you had after you suffered this tick bite. You went to the doctor and the doctor offered you doxycycline as a as a tool to help you reduce the microbe load in your body so that you wouldn't get sick. And you mm -hmm. made the decision not to take that doxycycline, correct? Correct. Now, what was the nature of the conversation between you and the doctor when the doctor prescribed you the doxycycline? So my doctor that I have in LA is holistic, even though she's an MD, so she can prescribe both, but she comes from the whole holistic field. Oh, okay. So she was definitely like, do what you want, but here it is just in case. Or I was the one who called her and said, hey, can I have it? And she was like, um, yeah, you know, like she was just kind of like, I'll give it to you, but you probably don't need to take, like she was just kind of on the fence. She's like, take it if you want. Don't like if it was under 24 hours, like she was kind of, um, under the same pretense as me. So, so she's like, I wasn't going against doctor's orders either way. She's like, I'll give it to you if you want, but you know. Okay. So what was going on in your mind when you decided to ask for the doxycycline and why did you ultimately decide not to take the doxycycline, even though you initially instinctively believed that you should ask for it? Um, because I didn't want to be breastfeeding with doxycycline. Not that I think now I've learned that it didn't really matter, but at the time I was thinking it did. And so I was like, oh, I don't want to give my daughter antibiotics and she's just a newborn and all that. So I um, didn't, so I was still breastfeeding. So that's kind of really the reason why I didn't take it. Otherwise I would have. Now, was it the doxycycline that you specifically didn't want to take? Because I know children shouldn't be taking doxycycline because it will have an impact on their teeth. Um, and, and, and the, and the enamel on their teeth. So was it the doxycycline itself or was it just any antibiotic? Meaning, did you have a conversation with your, no, any, any antibiotics? Like I had been on years of antibiotics because of my accident years, like I'm talking four years. So I kind of like, and my health kind of has declined ever since that time of just so many antibiotics that I just kind of was like, I've been on this holistic kind of journey of like, I need to just get my body healthy again. So now there's one more piece of this I'd like to unpack with you, which is the amount of time the tick was feeding on you. And let's assume you're right that the tick was only feeding on you for two hours. Why do you believe that you have gotten as sick as you've gotten when the research suggests that in order for the Lyme bacteria to leave the tick's gut and ultimately be spit into us, that it needs to be feeding on us between 24 and 36 hours? At least that's what they're finding with the lab research. Mm-hmm. Why do you think I think I got sick from it yeah, afterwards? I, mean, what, what is your, I guess what I'm asking is, what is your opinion about 
the research that suggests that a tick needs to be feeding on us for between 24 and 36 hours before the, the Lyme bacteria can go from the tick gut to be spit into us? I mean, I don't know. I just feel like I don't know about that research because I haven't seen it or looked into it. I just feel like common sense is it broke your skin. It's kind of like how, you know, why wouldn't it be going? Why wouldn't you already be getting sick from it going in there? Like, how how do they know it's really that 24 hours or 12 hours or three hours or two hours? Um, And just comment, if you think about it, common sense is kind of like it broke the skin. It's kind of like, you know, like if somebody has AIDS and you break the skin and you touch somebody, it's like, it's going in there. And, you know, it's like the same idea or a mosquito bite. Like now they're saying like mosquito bites can be causing Lyme. Well, mosquito bites don't stay on you for that long. I mean, I don't know if that's true or not, or they're saying it could be even sexually transmitted. Like, so I guess my, I don't think they really know, to be honest with you. <laughs> and, and I think you're right. I think you're, I, I think I, they're learning a lot. That's why there's no like treatments sure. and there's no uh, testing. <laughs> and I, and I, and look, and I think there's a diversity of people who are receiving this, this bacteria at different stages in their lives. And I want to unpack that with you as well, because this is that a is why I want to address it. That's why I was wondering, that's the question I was getting at. I just think I was providing the perfect host for that tick at that moment, right? Like if you look at like, because if you look at all the things of like the perfect storm, my life was a perfect storm at that point. My dad had just passed away. I had just had a baby. I think we had just moved. I had just been traveling with my family. I probably, I wasn't eating well. I was stressed. Like it was the perfect storm. I also have a body that like, because of my accident, when I was little, I'm just immune compromised as far as like, I've been through a lot, you know? Um, And now looking back, I also had other things, right? Like we can get into like the dental issues, Um, you know, like it just goes on and on. Like you go down the list of like the mold, the, you know, the parasites, the heavy metals. Like I just provided a complete, perfect storm of like a host. And, let, and so and that's it, what it is. And let's talk about the perfect storm of events at the time that you had suffered your tick bite, right? So you were married to someone who had Lyme disease. So there is the possibility that you were being infected based on your relationship with your husband that, um, mm-hmm. that you had Lyme disease. Um, you were living in a tick endemic community clearly because you had a child and a spouse who had Lyme disease. So we had that element. Um, you were you were clearly bitten by a tick and now you're also traveling, right? So one of the, one of the things we've, we've seen from past podcast guests is that, is that traveling on a plane actually does compromise your immune system as well. And you had just traveled on a plane when you had gotten bitten and then mm-hmm. you traveled on a plane right after you had gotten bitten. So of course you had not only sort of a, 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 a general um, immunocompromised body because of life events and because of contact, but it is possible that this tick, although it didn't feed on you for a long time, you were so ripe for mm-hmm. this bacteria to ultimately attack your system that soon after that uh, that bite, even if it was for a short period of time, and even if it only it even only put a small amount of the Lyme bacteria into you, that you were that you were really in a position where you didn't have the capacity, your body didn't have the capacity to fight mm-hmm. off this uh, this germ. Yeah. And I think that's one reason why I got so, even though I knew pretty fast, like within three or four months that it was Lyme, I do think that's why I, um, have continued after six years on this journey of still not getting better. I think it's because my body was already severely immune compromised and, and that's why it progressed so fast to like neurological Lyme. And, you know, because like most people, 
people had been sick for years and, and, and didn't know what was wrong with them. I knew pretty fast. So you would have thought like after three months, take your antibiotics, you know, do a couple of things like, and you'd be good to go. And that's not been the case for me. So I, I do think it's not just Lyme, it's layers of other stuff that's going on. Well, but let me ask you about that. That's one more piece I want to unpack with you, which is how did you know you weren't already suffering from Lyme disease for a long period of time prior to that tick bite? And that tick bite was just the, was just the, um, the introduction of additional microbes that sort of boiled over to use Dr. Rawls's analysis, because you did grow up in a tick endemic community. Mm -hmm. You clearly had, mm -hmm. um, you, you clearly had uh, immune issues in the past. And is it possible in your mind that perhaps your body was managing this Lyme disease for many years and then this was the event that sort of boiled over and caused you to suffer the, now the, uh, the chronic illness? Um, I think that could very well be, I'm not gonna deny that, but it was very different. None of those symptoms that are kind of Lyme symptoms existed before. Does that make sense? Like, yes, I had like, I, I had, okay. I'm also one of those people that prescribe to the, um, the medical medium where I do think that like mono, like I find people, I ask a lot of people who, who have chronic Lyme, I'll say, have you had mono before? Do you have EBV? And almost all of them say yes. So I do think there's like a hand in hand where like I had the mono, I had the EBV, um, I've had, you know, the past traumas that I was talking about stresses, not eating great you know, even though I knew what I'm supposed to be eating, I didn't, you know, I, I didn't always implement what I'm supposed to be eating. Um, and so, and so I think it, it, yes, I could have had Lyme quote unquote, like maybe if I had gotten tested before that, it would have came up positive. My point is though, I didn't have the ear ringing. I didn't have the plantar fasciitis. I didn't have the joint pain. I did have, I was tired, but I think that came from the EBV, you know, like, um, I didn't have the neurological issues. So all of these other issues came after I was bit, but I think that being bit triggered everything and maybe I already had a little bit and it just made it that much worse. I don't know, but. So let's talk about that. When you say triggered, right? I mean, do you believe that your body was managing all of these different uh, pathogens and then your immune system was compromised as a result of this reintroduction or this introduction of this infection and all of the events that were going on in your life, um, both, both the emotional stresses of having lost your dad and the, you know, some of the physical stresses of living a very busy life and now traveling on a plane. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I, I definitely think, um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I yeah, I, I don't really know. I mean, who knows, right? I mean, you keep thinking it's going to like, is it Lyme? Is it not Lyme? And and now, but I, I do think before I, it wasn't Lyme, it was something different. I think I was dealing with like an EBV and then now it went into a complete, it went to a completely different realm, like a totally different level. Like before it was like, I was tired. Right. And it was like, it's more like a rundown, like whatever. This is things that I, like once I got sick, it, it didn't stop. Like I was in the emergency room three times and they couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. Like I thought I was dying, like different, like all of a sudden big bumps would fall up on my chest. Like I would have this huge welt one morning that woke, like I woke up and I had a golf ball on my chest that was so painful. And I thought I had cancer. You know, I went to the emergency room. They did every test. They're like, no, there's nothing there. I'm like, well, then why do I have this golf ball on my chest? And they're like, we don't know. Like that was the first time. The second time I thought I had spinal meningitis. This is all within like a three week period. I couldn't move. I had another welt on the back of my neck. Couldn't move headaches. Like I've never imagined. Like it was crazy. They did a spinal tap on me. Again, everything came back completely negative. 
I'm like, I'm not making this up. Like they kept thinking I was making all this stuff up, but I'm like, but look at my body. I don't make this up. Like it's just happening. So I didn't, those symptoms are a completely different realm than what I was dealing with before. So Mimi, you were describing yourself as this really active person prior to the onset of these, of these symptoms. And, and you and I have been geeking out online for a minute and, and I've really enjoyed it, but I do think we have to walk this back so that we can give our audience a context for what your life was like, both personally and professionally and how these symptoms began to not interfere with your life. So talk to us about okay. what type of things you were doing professionally. I mean, professionally, like I said, I, um, I work from home, but so I'm an, I, between beauty counter and doing my angel investing, you know, I would, I would work from home, but I would do all that. But then I also was super active. Like I worked out every day. I would go to soul cycle. I would play tennis competitively like four times a week. I haven't played tennis since that six years ago, you know, like, so I haven't even gone to, so like I was super active. I would stay up late. I would just be completely and, you know, much more engaged in my family. Like I never took, ever took a nap ever. Like I just go, I went, I went, I was a type A, like kept going. So type A meaning you were a mom of five children and you were able to manage that uh, type A meaning you had a very rich career that you were able to pursue on a number of different fronts and rich in that you had a very, very um, active social life, including engaging a lot of physical activities and exercises. That's what your life was like before these symptoms began to develop, correct? Yes, completely. All right, so now talk about how the symptoms began to interfere with you professionally, personally, and socially. Oh my God, it stopped. What we've been living for COVID, it has been my life for the last six years. Like I haven't really gone out. I would, um, I felt like terrible all the time. Um, I was in bed most of the time. I had to get a, a live-in nanny because I couldn't, didn't know if one day I could get out of bed. I was in so much pain and crying, exhausted. I just would feel awful. Like it was just awful. I mean, I still get that. I don't get it as much. I used to probably out of 30 days, I would feel awful 25 days. You know, maybe I now feel awful four days out of 30 days, you know? Um, but, you know, I, what I like to tell people is if I did have to get out of bed, it's equivalent of feeling like you're hungover, like your worst hungover that you partied till two in the morning and you had to get up for work at 7 a.m. And you feel like you're about to like throw up because you're so nauseous from being hungover on top of feeling like you just ran a marathon that every bone in your body and every muscle, which I have ran a marathon, like it felt like every muscle, every bone in your body hurts. Um, you feel like okay, you're so now yeah. let's build that off for us. How did this physical disease impact your ability to parent your five children? Oh, I couldn't. I mean, it was awful. I've been like, I feel like I've missed my six-year-old, my five-year-old now, she's five. I feel like I've missed her life. Like, you know what I mean? Like she's definitely has a closer, she's a very closer, close relationship with our live-in nanny. Um, you know, for the first two years, she would call her mommy and me, 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 me. <laughs> you know, when she started talking, like it was awful, like, cause she had to be taken care of and she would take her to everything. Like even people at school were like, Oh, you're never around. Like what's going on. Like they just, you know, or like, you know, the headmaster's like, you don't volunteer anymore. I'm like, I know because I'm not, I'm barely getting by, you know, I had to take a back seat to even like beauty counter and like my team. And I let, you know, everybody else kind of do it socially. I don't like never, like my husband's like, we just never go out anymore. Or we would cancel or he would go out by himself. Um, it's, it's awful. Like I remember one time I went out, this is like three years ago. 
my husband's like, please, can we just finally go to this one dinner? I'm like, fine. I couldn't even walk. I was like hobbling to the chair. I'm like, just put me in the living room. I'll sit there. And then when it's dinner, I'll walk. Like you can help me get to the dining room table. And so I couldn't even walk. I was in so much pain. Um, but I happened to be sitting next to a woman that had like chronic arthritis. And so she was telling me about a Beamer mat. And so I, then I went home and I bought the Beamer mat. So it was interesting and I learned from them, but yeah, my life was completely shut. I down, I didn't do sports anymore. I didn't do tennis. I didn't, um, you know, I personally haven't worked out now in, I couldn't tell you the last time I went to like an actual workout. My workout is like walking and I've probably walked last time I walked besides this past week last time was six months ago. Like I just, it's too painful for me. Um, and, and it takes too much out of me. I'll, I'll work out, but then I'll be in bed for three days. So Mimi, let's talk about your diagnostic journey. How long were you feeling these symptoms before you finally got a diagnosis of Lyme disease from a doctor? Okay. So that's kind of a loaded question in that, like, there's so many different diagnoses, like which is accurate, right. And depending on who you go to, right. So I went right away to the doctor my do my husband went to who doesn't use normal Lyme tests, right? He does blood analysis. So, you know, he that's how he he diagnoses it. So he found that I had it from his blood analysis. If you told a normal doctor that, they would tell you you're crazy. Like they would be like, what are you talking about? Like that's not a diagnostic tool, right? Or you can go to my other doctor that I was telling you about, the one who gave me the prescriptions, like she does the muscle testing. Right. So it's like, depending on like, there's muscle testing, there's the live blood analysis, there's, um, and then I finally also did Igenex test or no, the other one that I did was, um, shoot, what's it called? Something lab. My memory is terrible with my is it lab lab core. Did you, yeah, the, no, it was, what's the other one that everyone did? Not the Igenex, but the other one that everyone does. DNA connections, Armin yeah. labs. I think it was the DNA. It was before Igenex became like it at that time. It was like the, the, the one that you went, went and got like five years ago, but now it's like more Igenex that people suggest. Um, so anyway, so I did all that. Um, and, and every time it's come back like positive, you know, um, to the point where I have like six out of the CDC markers, six or seven that over, you know, for the CDC markers. Um, and then um, the other thing, which I brought up to you guys before, but I want to mention is I found another doctor a couple years in um, that he's a specialist here in, in Connecticut. And I showed up with my book of like all my treatments and diagnostics of what I've been doing. And he had said to me, I go here, don't you want to see this? He's like, no, no. He's like, all I want you to do is go to, um, uh, uh, all I want, I want you to do is just walk in a straight line, do, do the sobriety test. And I was like, what? And she, I was like, no, one's ever asked me to do that. And he's like, just do it. And I was like, okay. I literally couldn't put one foot in front of the other. I fell over. He's like, you have Lyme. I was like, that's it. That's all you have to do. And he goes, that's all I do for my patients is just tell them to walk in a straight line. Cause now, you know, you have neurological Lyme. It has gone into your neurological system and it's gone into your brain. You can't walk anymore in a straight line. And I couldn't even lift. He had me lift one foot and just stand on one foot and like try to do one, like just, he couldn't even do, I couldn't even do that. And so that's when I like broke down crying. I'm like, oh my God, this is like so much more serious than I thought it was. The fact that it's like neurologically completely affecting me. So Anyway, so yeah, so I have done different tests through the years. Now I tell people, try that because it's free, right? Um, and then um, and then uh, and then I also tell people like if you can afford it, do the hygienics because I think that one's that one's better. Um, so 
and uh, so anyway, so that's where I think um, between the different tests, I think if you can do that, um, the well, well, you can go that you can go muscle testing. There's so many different ways people can go depending on what do- route they have to go. They want to go to. The well, problem but, is there's not many. You can go to a normal doctor; they do their normal panel, and it's going to come back. Yeah, negative. but what I'm looking to do is just sort of explore your journey with you. So okay. immediately after you got back to California, you went to your husband's line doctor. No, my husband's line doctor is in New York City. Oh, okay. Okay. So, so I spent a month in New York City getting treatments. Now, so just let, let's just get the timeline clear because I'm a little confused about mm-hmm. the timeline. You come, you come home for your dad's funeral. You get bitten by a tick. You fly back to California. You have all of these symptoms developing. Do you see any yeah. doctors in California before you come to your husband's Lyme doctor in New York City? God, I wish I can remember. I've been to so many doctors and I never really created a timeline. I should. I'm trying to think of if I actually went... No, you know what I think I did? I actually just called Malcolm's doctor and I sent him, what you do is you send him a, a blood thing over over like FedEx. So I FedEx him my blood analysis and did a blood analysis over like just while I was in LA. And then two weeks later, he comes back and says, this is what you have. So that's what I did. Okay. So you, you had a diagnosis pretty early on in this process after mm-hmm. having suffered the tick bite in- Correct. Um, okay. So- what steps did you take after you now had your Lyme disease diagnosis to try to manage uh, these challenges? So he, um, his protocol is pretty, um, he does kind of everything where he does antibiotics like orally, but then he also does like energy work. He also does like different um, IV stuff um, that he puts in there, like a proprietary stuff. I don't even know what he puts in there to be honest with you. Um, but then he also like finds out if you have heavy metals. So he'll, you know, he'll, um, he'll like detox you from the heavy, heavy metals, or if you have mold or parasites, he, he kind of cleans that all up. So I did that for a month. And then I started going back to California and he would ship the, the, um, IV to me in California. And I had my doctor there do the IV stuff there. And I did start getting better. Um, like by that summer, I was kind of back to normal and feeling really good again. Um, and then I I was feeling good. And then I had another relapse and the relapse was from, um, two things. And I know exactly what it's from. I'm super, super, super sensitive. Now I know to, to mold, super sensitive mold. So I was exposed to mold two more times after that. I keep getting better. And then every time I'm exposed to mold, it triggers me right back. And it takes me almost like a year to get back. Um, and that's, what's going on with me right now. This is my third time exposed to mold and it's triggered me back into like almost a year of being, um, you know, exposed and be, having the Lyme kick back up again. So that first time it was mold and then another death in the family. And so that those two things, um, set it all back off again. So, um, so yeah. maybe real quick, I just want to back up to your initial treatment protocol with your doctor. You mentioned that he used energy medicine and a, and, a, and a wide variety of protocols. So did you use all of those things you mentioned, or is that just some of the treatment options he uses, but you got a subset of those items? No, he used everything. So he has like this little machine that he like tests you for energy and he like reconvened. It's very, very European. Like it's everything he does is like kind of from Europe, like from Germany. So it's like this whole like energy, like he can tell you like what your toxicity level is and your energy. And um, so he did that. And then he did a bunch of stuff that I wish I don't remember exactly what was in the bag for IVs, but a ton of stuff to also do chelation to get the heavy metals out. Um, and to, and then it was also antibiotics. 
Okay, so talk to us more about the energy testing because we've had several guests talk to us about the use of energy testing and medicine. And admittedly, at first, it seemed really wacky to me, but so many of our guests have had success with energy healing and energy testing. Would you agree that that energy testing and healing was something that you think was helpful in your situation? Or do you think it was something that was more of a minor role in your healing journey? Um, I definitely think depending on, there's so many ways to, to look at it, that machine, that was the only time I've ever seen that machine, um, since then, but there, as far as energy testing from other doctors and other paths, I do think, I mean, we're all energy, right. And, um, we have a lot of interference with EMFs. Like I have come to find out that I am super allergic to like, and sensitive to EMFs, which is energy, you know, so you, you, so that has to be a big part of it. And I think like the whole PEMF, like the, um, the PEMF mats are, are super helpful for people. So, you know, and, and I do think there's the vibration, the energy vibration of like line. That's why like Rife machines are so popular or that wave one that I use. I use that a lot, um, which is like an, like a, a device that I wear on my, um, my leg, because what happens is, and I'm not super well-versed in it, but from what my overall, like, um, understanding is everything is energy and everything has a frequency. And so Lyme has a frequency, Babesia has a frequency. All these things have frequencies. So you need to use energy to kind of get into that frequency and kind of like make it null. So it goes away and then it just kind of dies off. So I do think there is some truth to this whole energy thing. And I do agree with you. My whole path, I've gone down so many woo-woo things. Like I've talked to like shamans. I actually went to this Chinese doctor in LA, like in Anaheim, didn't speak any English. I had to have a transition. She was sitting there like, just like talking to me. I kind of felt like I was in that movie with, um, oh shoot, now I can't remember it. I'll think of it, but it's like that kid's movie with, um, with like, she was telling me about the dead and how my, cause my sister had just passed too. And how my sister's stuck and that the, my healing is not from my, like, I'm not healing cause my sister's stuck and she knows I'm the only one who can unstuck her. And so that's why like, I have to work with that. And I had to have like a, a death ceremony. Like I have done it all. Like she's even like, all of a sudden she started rubbing her hand and she had like this powder that came out of the air that she wanted me to drink for three days because that's why I'm not getting better. And, and, and then I was like, what just happened? And she's like, here, I'll do it again. And she did it again. And literally out of thin air, cause I watched her the second time out of thin air, she had this medicine that I, I mean, the stuff I have done, I, I wish I had documented because people would think I'm absolutely loony. Um, but oh, you know wait, what? But, I'm but totally maybe, open to you, all of this. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt, but you are not loony. And that's important to note, right? We are just, we want to feel better and we'll do yeah, anything to I'll try to feel better. I'll do anything and I'm totally open to anything. Cause I do think like, look, I'm not like, Hey, we're America and Western medicine is the only way. I mean, there have been people here for thousands and thousands of years that have survived and lived and did it not with Western medicine. So we have yeah. a lot to learn from these people through energy, through herbs, through traditional, you know, Eastern medicine. And so I'm a huge fan of like acupuncture. I think that if anyone's not doing acupuncture on a regular basis, Shame on you. Cause I do think that's like anytime that I have started to decline, I'm like, Oh, I stopped doing acupuncture. I haven't gone in like three months. That's why. And as soon as I start doing acupuncture again, I'm, I, I start that like, there's like the set things that I would tell anybody, like if you can't get right now off the bat, and I don't know if you want to go there, but like what I've learned now coming through this, like what I would tell people like, okay, you, you must have no matter who you are that you need to do, you're not going to get better until you do this. I I've kind of boiled that down pretty simply. 
I don't know if you want me yeah, to touch on so that. So maybe before we go there, I just, cause you just threw a whole bunch of great information at us and I want to kind of focus <laughs> in a little bit more because, because I, we really like to focus on what worked for you and what tips can we provide to people listening? Cause most yeah. people listening to this are people struggling with Lyme and trying to feel better. Yep. So you mentioned a lot of these energy and frequency healing modalities like a Rife machine and like the PEMF, you know, electromagnetic pulses, which is, you know, what's used in the amp coil product that many people in the Lyme community are aware of. And then you mentioned wearing some sort of, um, um, rife or, or energy device. Yeah, it's called on wave one, which is like a little device. It's expensive though. And so, it's like this little device and it's like having a rife machine, like on your body. Yep. So perfect. So, so in, in your opinion, is the wave one an effective treatment option for you? Yes. And I don't think, okay. I don't think there's one solution for anybody. One, two is, I don't think there's one solution is going to cure all. Agreed. And three, I honestly think it comes down to um, what I've learned is it comes down to stop running around from doctor to doctor to doctor, right? Just stop, slow down. Because I think what happens is, and I, I'm, I'm guilty of it. I go to a doctor, I pay all this money out of pocket. I go down their protocol and I don't feel any better after three months, four months, I'll give them maybe six months. And if I'm not feeling better after six months, I'm like, I'm out of here. And then I go down to the next doctor and I, and then they're selling something else, some other brand of supplements. They don't want you to use that brand, even though it's the same kind of supplements or whatever. And then I go down that like Avenue or that hole. And so I feel like for anybody who's on like waiting for that doc, like make sure you do your research and find like the, the right doctor for you. But like, there's so much you can do from home. And, and Mimi, from a, from a tips perspective, I just want to note that the wave one machine that you're using on your ankle was also mentioned to us when we interviewed Dr. Tiffany Brownbush. And she mm -hmm. uses that personally and has experienced great success with that as yeah. well for our listeners. So from an energy perspective standpoint and, and a PEMF and a Rife tech standpoint, I think we have a good tip there. Um, but you mm -hmm. also mentioned, I want to, I want to go back to the, e, um, the EMF sensitivities, because that's something that we've touched on with some of our guests. Some, you know, again, one of those Huge. things where some people believe it, some people don't believe it, but there are some amazing stories we've heard where people's health have improved based on limiting their exposure to EMFs. So can you give us an example as to what changes you've made to reduce EMF exposure and how it's helped your health? Okay. So that, I mean, like, I don't know if you guys know Dr. Klinghart or anything about him, but I haven't gotten to him, but I have friends who have, he won't see you unless you get, give up your EMF from what I heard from them. Like he'll give you like a list of things you need to do. And if you're not willing to do them, you're not, he said, I'm not going to treat you because you're not going to get better. So he has found that a lot of people who, who can't get better are, is because of EMF. So what have I done? Um, I could be doing a lot more. I know what I'm supposed to be doing. It's kind of like eating, you know, like, you know what you're supposed to be eating and not eating, but we don't do it. Like we all know how to lose weight, right? It's like who want to actually work out every day and, and not eat that extra cookie. But what you're supposed to do with EMF and what I, you're not supposed to have, you're supposed to have your whole house wired. You're not supposed to have wireless in your house. Okay. That's like over the top. Like that's, then that's what I said to my, one of my good friends who, who does this for a living. She comes into people's houses. I'm like, come on, realistically. And she's like, I've done it. I'm like, oh my gosh, but I'm not going to do that. But I have now, I have a station where I do have it hardwired and I don't have anything wireless. I, I don't have like the wireless mouse and I don't have the wireless keyboard. I have everything docked. So my one station that I'm sitting in front of is completely, you know, hardwired in. So that's a big difference. 
you will never see me put my phone to my head ever, like ever, ever, ever. When I see people who have their phone to their head, I'm like, I cringe, like it drives me nuts. You really shouldn't have your phone on you either. Like it should not be within a couple of feet of you. It should be in a bag. It should be in a backpack. It should never be like physically on you. Um, but the other thing I wear, I don't know if it's true or not, but like wearing those necklaces, like that EMF, like necklace, I'm not sure the brand that I bought, but, um, and then also like, I put a thing on the back of my phone, like, and then the back of my computer, I have like one of those, like supposedly, you know, depending on who you ask, they swear by it. Other people say it's not, but I'm kind of like, you know, I did have a guy come to my house and walk through and do the whole like EMF slash, like, you know, just like magnetic energy and everything that comes from your house. And he walked through and did every room, especially where you sleep is super important because that's where you spend most of your time. If you think about it, the amount of hours. So one of the simple things that someone can do like now, like right off the bat is do not plug your phone next to your bed. It is like, no, 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 no. He showed me a device. Like he showed me on his radar just by even having the cord plugged not even your phone plugged in, just the cord plug of like the Apple cord just sitting next to your bed brings you to a level that increases your chance, chance of cancer by like exponentially. Like he showed me, he's like, look, you don't want to be over that hundred level. And look, just the, having this cord without the phone plugged in is over the hundred level. So that's like a huge, like right now, like tonight you can do unplug that, put it in your bathroom, plug it into your bathroom in there and don't have it next to your bed. So Mimi, you're dropping a lot of knowledge bombs on us and we need to unpack ah. some of them. I mean, this is just, I, I, I love this interview already. Um, so let's talk about the carousel of doctors. One of the pieces of yeah. advice you dropped in the middle of, of this very, very dense conversation was you said, you don't think people should go from doctor to doctor to doctor. And, and that's something that we, we like to talk about here on this podcast, which we call the carousel of doctors. Why do you dislike the carousel of doctors and what do you think the alternative is? Um, I think the alternative is get your, okay. I think I'm very guilty of this. I think some doctor is going to fix me right? Like I'm looking for the quick fix, like go. And in three months, I'm going to feel better because he's going to give me some magic pill or some magic treatment. And that's not going to happen. So I hate to break it to anybody who's listening right now. Like, oh, so, so you bought into the great white coat syndrome. Yeah. Like you're going to go and it's going to be like, he, they're going to be my miracle cure. So my point of saying this is because I didn't do the work on myself that I needed to do before going and starting on that carousel of doctors. So what do you mean by that? Was it, you didn't have a healthy perspective on the partnership you should have with a doctor or mm -hmm. do you believe there's something you have to do before you begin to go to doctors? Correct. So there's some things like that you can do from home without a doctor. And it's very easy. Like I tell people, like if you're not getting better and you're still eating gluten, sugar, alcohol, you know, uh, coffee. There's like five things that are like super bad. What happens is most of the time our gut is not healed. And so we're, we're having leaky gut is pretty much why a lot of people are not getting better. So that's stuff you can do from home, like water, get your sleeping under control, water, 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 water is the number one thing. Sleeping under control, your food. If you're still drinking alcohol and you have chronic Lyme, don't bother going to a doctor. Like whatever they're well, giving you is not going to get you better. But Mimi, let me take you back to your relationship with doctors and your relationship with the community. And, and again, I don't want to I don't want to be overly dramatic, but you were not a young kid when you were were bitten by a tick. You yeah, were an 45. Ivy, um, you were an Ivy League educated 
successful entrepreneur and you did not have a proper relationship on your perspective with doctors. You thought you were going to walk into a doctor's office, a doctor was gonna ride in on his or her or their white horse and they were gonna make you better and you didn't have any responsibility. And now you're saying, well, now I have to go to the other piece of this. I have to learn how to respond with ability so that I can now have a proper relationship with the doctor. Mm -hmm. No, I love my doctor. So that's not like a, um, I actually consider a lot of my doctors that I've worked with now very like friends. Like I have their cell phones, okay. I text. So I, I have a very good relationship with my doctors. I just, my point is, I think I was looking for the quick fix. It's kind of like the syndrome, like we all deal with like trying to lose weight, right? Going back to that. It's like, you don't want to do the work. Just give me the pill. Like I, I, I want to be able to like still eat what I want or not work out, but just give me the pill to make me lose that, that weight. So give me the surgery. I want to unpack what that means though, what your responsibility okay. is. How do you respond with ability? You're saying, don't walk into a doctor and expect the doctor is going to make you better. Okay. So what are you getting when you walk into a doctor's office? What should you expect? My point is, I think their treatments will work, but you have to do your end of the bargain. So if you haven't done your stuff at home, meaning like, um, it's it's so multifaceted, right? It's not just like, it's what you eat, right? So they're not gonna like, a lot of doctors don't even go into that. So like, you gotta do that piece of like, the nutrition piece is huge. On your own. On your own, right? Why, That's, why shouldn't well, they be giving us that piece? Why isn't that a framework? Well, some do, but I feel like, okay, if your appointment's not for six weeks, cause these doctors are take forever to get into, don't wait for six weeks for them to tell you what to eat. Just go Google it or find out that like, stop, like, stop, like, stop drinking the coffee, stop drinking the alcohol. I mean, you can go back to it eventually, but get better. Like, so, so but maybe what's the goal in now engaging in all these healthy behaviors? How is that going to positively impact your relationship with Lyme disease? What do you, what do you mean? How is it going well, to you're saying you're, you're saying that we have to, we have to do our part as patients, right? Mm -hmm. And you've given us a number of examples of things that you should be doing so that when you go to the doctor, the framework that the doctor is going to sell you is going to be more successful. Correct. Why? Why is that going to positively impact the outcome that you're seeking? Because those things are reasons why you're not getting better. Like what you're eating and your gut and your health are, are because they're compromised and they're causing you to not get better because you're stressed and you haven't figured out how to meditate or you haven't figured out how to get the stress out of your life. You need and why to is stress, to... why is stress having a negative impact on your capacity to heal? Why it should suppresses that be... your, like, like, for example, going back to the nutrition, like sugar completely suppresses your immune system. Okay. Now we're stress getting... completely suppresses your immune system. So all these pieces suppress your immune system. So you can't get better. So. And why, why, why do the, immunosuppressing behaviors that you're engaging in preventing you from getting better? Well, I'm not sure of the exact lingo, but like, for example, your gut is a major part. Like what I was saying before, your gut is a major part of your health. So if you have leaky gut, then an inflammation and the five things I mentioned before, the five foods cause leaky gut, cause high inflammation in your body um, and causes your immune system to be suppressed. So if you have all these things, this Lyme, you're providing a complete perfect environment for this Lyme to you know, grow and, and to kind of take over your body. So part of what I'm trying to unpack here with you, Mimi, is the, I think the unhealthy perspective that we walk into our doctor's offices with. And one of the things that was really meaningful to me and Matt, when we interviewed Dr. Bill Rawls, is he shared with us that 
no matter what the framework is that a doctor is selling to you, let's use doxycycline as a, as a healing framework. Mm-hmm. That's not going to cure your Lyme disease. Your immune system. Of is course. Yes. Day. So yes, it's all so, about getting your immune system up. Sorry right. if that wasn't clear. Yes. It's all so, about getting your immune system up and ready to go. And to, I don't even want to use the word fight, but like your body should be able to heal anything that kind of comes away. If it's cancer, if it's Lyme, if it's whatever it is, it should be able to be able to do that on its own. Correct. And if it's not, that's what these doctors are doing. Most of these doctors that I go to that are not, um, you know, re- like regular Western, they're all about like, we're not even going to touch the Lyme. We're all about getting your immune system working so that it can kind of go after the Lyme itself. We're not even, don't use the word fighting the Lyme because you need to build up your immune system to allow your body to be able to heal itself. Which of course begs another important question, which is when you're, when you're taking, let's say doxycycline, for example, and, and you've said that you've had, you have regrets about not having taken the doxycycline earlier on in your journey, because that would have probably reduced the microbe load and have allowed your immune system to ultimately defeat the Lyme disease, right? Mm-hmm. So there is this whole chicken and egg scenario that we also have to discuss as well, because if you're not reducing the microbe load of Lyme itself, I agree. then attacking your immune system, then how are you going to heal your immune system? And how is your immune system ultimately going to defeat the Lyme? So I think that's a, you know, this chicken and egg debate that we sort of hear on a regular basis. Yeah. Give me your thoughts on that. Well, it's interesting because a lot of the doctors I've been going to recently, and they kind of all are saying the same thing. You do not want to start attacking that, like, and bringing down that load, unless you know your body is capable of getting rid of it. So, and because otherwise you have like the hurting effect. So you have to be able to, um, make sure your body is like detoxing. Right. And, and, and so that's a huge piece of it. Like I have that MTHFR mutation gene. So I think a lot of people also who are not getting better have that mutation. So getting a whole genetics, which I've done, got like a whole genetics testing about that. Um, that unless your body is detoxing, it's not going to get better. So to go in and start killing off of like Lyme with like antibiotics or whatever, and not having a proper way to detox it. Think about it. It's not coming out of your body. Right. So like I'm super constipated. I ran a marathon and I did not even sweat. I don't sweat. I never sweat. So like that should have been a sign my whole life. Like, why am I not sweating? That's because I don't detox properly. And so unless I get the detoxing, so now I do saunas every day. I do coffee enemas all the time. I do like, you know, dry brushing ways to make sure you're always detoxing, which is super important. Now, where did you learn your detoxing techniques? Was this something that a doctor who was selling you a healing framework helped you to understand? Or was this something you had to learn on your own? Um, both, both like I, you know, I had always had a passion. I don't know why for reading and a, a lot of th- like a, a lot of doctors and books about cancer. I just, it fascinates me. And I always kind of gone down the whole cancer, like alternative route. Like I knew about it before even Lyme. So I knew about like coffee enemas and all that. So I just kind of either found it from social media, some of my doctors, or just, um, the books I have read, you know, some doctors are totally for like coffee enemas. Some aren't. So let me let me walk you back before I, I let Matt um, come back to ask you the, the the final questions he wants to ask you. So if you are going to give advice to folks who are on their journey about pivoting from one doctor to another, so you 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 don't think the carousel of doctors is healthy, 
Um, you you have some uh, some advice about making sure that you are playing your role, your proper role in this relationship with doctors, and doing your part of of, of building up your immune system and, and preparing your immune system for the frameworks that they're going to purchase from their doctors. When do you pivot from doctor to doctor? Because you've done a lot of that, and what insight can you give to the community about when they should be pivoting to another doctor and purchasing another health framework? Um, I think when you go through the protocol, because I think a lot of these doctors have protocols, like for example, the doctor I'm on right now, she's like, okay, it's going to be three months. It's like a three month protocol, right? So I'm doing, even though I kind of had already had another thing I was going on, I was re recommended to her long story short, I decided to go down this path. So if at the end of that path in three months, so by the end of like in middle of March, I'm still not, she's claiming I'm going to be better. So if at that point I'm not better, then that's when I'll probably be like, okay, I already like have this other world that I started going down. I'll go back and revisit that, but I'm going to see this through right now. I'm going to just focus on this. I put all my other supplements and everything else I was doing in a box and I just saved it. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to just focus on this. But with that being said, I got real with my eating because I hit a really bad low in November. I couldn't walk. My feet had completely exploded and they were like elephant feet um, from the inflammation. And so that's when I was like, okay, I, I really got to clean up my diet. Um, and when I say that is like, I was eating from my blood type. I'm not even a super bad eater. Like my cheating was like having an Ezekiel muffin with sun butter. Like that's my cheating. And so I had to give even up that. So I, for a month, all I ate was fruit and vegetables um, and just totally ate super clean, raw food for a month and nothing else. Like during Thanksgiving and Christmas, like I literally had nothing, no dairy. No, I'm still not eating dairy. I've completely given up dairy now and, and gluten um, and mostly sugar because of this. Like I really, like before I was doing more, like I was still having like dairy because I'm allowed to for my blood type to have dairy, but because of Lyme, I'm like, I gave it up because of the inflammation. So, and you know, I, I really kind of got serious. Like I used to let things slip a little bit more. I, I don't, I don't drink alcohol anymore. I don't. So I got super, super serious. And I think that is going to help. I've also done a lot of emotional work and, and working with somebody each Mimi, week. Before uh, we go there, I'm sorry yeah. to interrupt real quick, but you hit on something that I really want to explore just a little bit deeper. So you talked about your, your eating habits and your diet and how that helped you in your healing journey and help with inflammation. And we've heard many times people say that they cut out gluten and dairy and sugar from their diet because of Lyme and inflammation. But you also mentioned eating for your blood type. Can you go into more detail about that for our listeners? As yes. to what that means? Yeah. So there's a great app called eat for your blood type. And there's a great book about it. And it's all about this guy believes it's all about this doctor believes it's all about your blood type. Okay. And I have a bunch of other, my doctor, my normal doctor believes in that. That's how he wants you to eat. So, um, and, and then, so you eat for your blood type, but then we also did a blood like allergy test for eating. And, um, it's funny, it came back and it completely matched exactly for the book. Like I was shocked. Like we just did it just to confirm that like eating for my blood type was going to be the same. So like, for example, my blood type, I can't have avocados. I love avocados. I can't have avocados, you know? So it's like very, I can't have coconut, you know? So even though it's a super healthy food, I can't have those for my blood type. And they did come back that they were causing like inflammation in my body. So it's really interesting. It's a great, like, if you're like feeling great anyway, and you want to lose your extra pounds, or you just want to be healthier, I'd say eat for your blood type. If you need to take it a step further and you have Lyme or you have some kind of chronic inflammation, then you need to take it a step further. 
I'm sorry, maybe. So you were also you you were moving on to your emotional healing, and I interrupted you. So if you could if you can go on to that topic, please. As yeah, well. I mean that's a huge piece. Um, and I think if if you've done all this stuff, like you've gone to your doctors, you've done the eating, and you're still not getting better, and you haven't addressed the emotional component of this, then um, you're not going to get better. And when I say that is like like whatever's happened in your past, if it's family stuff, if it's deaths, whatever's happened, we've all had stuff like baggage and how we handle it. If we haven't figured out a way, if it's like meditating, if it's breath work, if it's, you know, heart math, um, if it's, you know, so I've gone down this point now, there's a guy, um, Arnaud, and I've done, I'm working on his seven step program where he believes that like a lot of your stuff could be from generations before you that you're holding on to, And it just keeps repeating and repeating in your life until you learn how to deal with it. And I do think there's some truth to that because I don't know about you guys, but I always find that I've, I have the same situations that keep coming up in my life or the same type of people that keep coming up in my life. And you're like, wait, how do I keep getting here where I'm dealing with the same like situation. Like this person did this to me and then it happens again and it happens again. And you're like, I just not ever dealt with this. Like, why is it keep happening? It's because your body's like, your life is teaching you a lesson. I do believe that like things happen to you and it's, you're supposed to be on this journey of teaching you that lesson. So it's like letting you clear the energy it's, um, and, and kind of it's, it's beyond the meditating and it's like clearing the energy for allowing that to be put to rest so that you can move on later you know, move on with your life and your thing, learning how to emotionally deal with things um, and not like holding on to a lot. Cause I'm definitely somebody who's not super emotional, but I hold on to stuff. Like people don't see it, but I like, like talk about it. I, I mean, I, I, it causes me to stay up all, all night and, 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 but I'm not super emotional in general. So people don't realize it. Um, you know, I'm kind of hard on the outside, but super soft on the inside. So it's like the M&M analogy where I, I hold on to things inside, but it really eats at me. So I have to learn to like, just let things like I'll, I'll like like for three days be like oh what I said to that person was that mean did I like I'll sit there and like go over like what I said to somebody and how like it affected them and whatever and then I'm and then I'll say something to my husband he's like you're thinking about that like move on and I'm like oh my gosh so I gotta just learn to move on Mimi and I think that is a really important part I attend a lot of Lyme support groups on on zoom and, and virtually and that topic comes up often where people need to emotionally heal and I think you really hit it specifically that people tend to hold on to events or interactions in their life and dwell and obsess and develop anxiety over them, which seems to be for many people, they didn't have those symptoms until they developed Lyme and they have to retrain their brain to not be stuck in that state of dwelling and obsessing on events that occurred in their life. So mm -hmm. I, I just mm -hmm. do also want to kind of recap here because you're, you're I'm sorry to interrupt, but you're, you're giving us a really good outline of what you've done so far. So you've, you've done this energy and frequency healing with the wave one and some other, some other, um, healing modalities you've reduced your emf uh exposure and 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 helped you help your body heal in that regard you've also now focused on your diet right for for um lime by decreasing inflammation mm -hmm. with gluten sugar and dairy you've also now learned to eat for your blood type which is a new concept that we're learning here on tick boot camp you've also now learned how to heal emotionally as we just discussed to you know sort of mm -hmm. retrain your brain to not get stuck in that obsessive dwelling state um and on top of all this, you're doing IV treatments. So you did IV antibiotics, you did IV chelations to mm -hmm. um, get rid of a lot of the, the heavy mold potential, potentially in your, in your blood. So you also mentioned earlier that you did some dental work and that you'll get to that later on. So if we can focus on that and what dental work you had done and how that was impacting your healing journey. Okay. So if anybody doesn't know this, look up biological dentistry. 
it's a whole different world of dentistry and you can find a biological dentist. Um, this is now you'll start seeing it, but I've been doing this now for 20 years. Um, like mercury, like the mercury in your mouth, complete no, no, like getting the cavities that they, like the silver fillings, awful, awful, awful for you. Now they're starting to come out about that fluoride awful for you. Awful, awful. Um, that causing that causes a lot of Alzheimer's or whatnot. And then the third thing I would say is, okay. So when, what, what biological dentist believes is your place is kind of like the big, like the center of everything because it's direct into your bloodstream. So you have to keep your, your teeth super healthy. And it's like where it harbors a lot of germs and bacteria and it goes right into your bloodstream. So it's a direct line to the rest of your body. So if you don't have a clean mouth and you're not properly taking care of it. And there's like a lot of basic things that you can do, like, you know, tongue scraping, you can do oil pulling, um, making sure you floss all the basics keeps your mouth super healthy. But the bigger thing to do, which I have done is I have gone to, um, they clean out your cavitations. So we all, not all of us, but if you had your wisdom teeth, you know, in your twenties pulled, if you, they weren't done properly by a biological dentist, they're like filled with like the bone is like black and soft and filled with a lot of stuff. So I had them all cleaned out and it was disgusting. Like we sent the stuff to the lab and the amount of like, like bacteria and everything that came in there, it, it's no wonder why I was sick. Right. And then, so that's really important. If you haven't cleaned out your cavitations and you're not getting better, it could be in there. Um, they could be hiding like the germs and your bacteria and Lyme could be actually in, in your bones. And then the other thing is your root canals. Um, and so the root canals, um, are really not good for you. I think there's like a, there's some report that I can't remember what doctor did it. Was it doctor, um, something with a W, um, he put a tooth, a, a root canal tooth into a rabbit, um, Dr. Weston price, I think his name is, and, uh, uh, into a rabbit. And they found that the, the rabbit started getting the tumor, the cancer tumor, just from the tooth. They took it out. The cancer tumor went away. There's like a 90% correlation of people who have breast cancer have had root canals. Like it's super, super high. And so, because if you think about it, you're just capping like a tooth that like is kind of dead in your mouth. So it's creating almost like a, like a, a hot tub, a whirlpool in your mouth. Um, where it's just, it's hot in there and it's creating, and it's not allowed and it's going right into your bloodstream. So if you have a root canal, I, I, I pulled mine. So, um, which was, um, you know, I did that a couple of years ago, but then I told you this before, Matt, that really interesting last week, the doctor I went to, she brought this up, which I want to like tell people now, not that many people have this, but just in case they do, um, instead of putting back, um, an implant, cause I wanted to wait until I got completely better. I was just afraid to put a piece of metal in my mouth or whatever, and go down another surgery. Um, I just did a plastic, like, like a fake plastic, they call a flipper. And I I've been using that for the past couple of years and you couldn't even tell cause it looked like my, my tooth with this. And when I got my blood work back last week from Germany, the woman said to me, do you have breast implants? And I was like, no. And she's like, your level of Silicon is like the equivalent of somebody who has breast implants. And I was like, what are you talking about? And she's like, you must have some plastic in your body. Where's the plastic. And I was like, oh my God, my tooth. And she's like, yes, it's leaking. And it changes that Silicon changes the mitochondria in your cells and is completely transformed your cells. So your cells can't do the job. Like it's not even making ATP anymore. And that's one real reason why you're not getting better. And so I tell people like dealing with dental work um, and going to a proper like holistic dentist, a dentist, like a biological dentist is super, super important. And Mimi, 
some of the items I just outlined before, and now we're adding the dental work into the mix, it sounds like you've recognized from all of your doctors and you've developed this personalized sort of protocol that Lyme makes your body weak. And all of these other things too are contributing to this toxic load, this viral load, mm-hmm. this, this, all of these things that are keeping you down and you're one by one, removing, the, removing them yep. and removing them and removing them and getting a little bit better and a little bit better and a little bit better. So it's so much bigger than just the Lyme bacteria itself. There's so much other stuff going on in your body that was causing you to be sick. And you're now, you know, as, as I say, unpeeling that onion to get your health back. It sounds like. Yeah. Or I use the analogy of a pot, like a soup. You keep throwing enough in there. Like if it's like the, the, the deodorant you're using, the shampoo you're using, your stress, your mold in your house, like whatever, EMF, like it all keeps getting added in there. The chemicals that are surrounding us all day long, like on their fruit, unless it's organic and, and all, and then you throw in lime, whatever it is, like it's, and then at some point it just boils over. And that's when you have to start just removing stuff to allow your body to simmer down, to get control to like get it back under. The other thing that we didn't, I didn't mention, which is a huge part of my protocol is ozone. Um, Ozone treatment, I've done that. I even have one at home. So I do that all the time. I'll do it in my ears. I do it nasal or I do it rectally. And it's huge, like a big part of my treatment too. Mimi, can you walk us through what that's like? Because we've heard a lot of different types of ozone therapy, blood ozone, as you mentioned, rectal ozone in your ear and your nose. So what specifically does that mean that you're using ozone as a healing modality? Is it, is it something that you just shoot, you know, like a, like a nasal spray and and something you put into your ear? Like, what is that process like for you? No. So, okay. So if I did it, if, if I had all the money in the world, I'd go and do a 10 pass once a week. And a 10 pass is a machine, but it's super expensive. It's like a couple thousand dollars. But I was doing that like three times a week for like a couple months when I was at the height of like one of my doctors. And and then finally I was like, I can't do this anymore. But that's super like 10 passes, 10 different times of putting ozone into your directly into your blood work, into your blood through IV at home. You know, the machine costs like $1,500. I get it from truly heal. And he, um, he gives you the whole protocol. He has a whole program, how to do it. And he teaches you how to do it, but it's like a little ear thing. It looks like an earpiece. It's a machine that you have it hooked up to a thing and you just put it on and you run it for three minutes. Or the other way the the nasal part is a little bit harder. I had my doctor show me how to do that in person or rectally. It's just like putting in a bag and just like, almost like doing a nose, like, like doing a, a, an enema, but it's air instead of, um, like a coffee enema. So it's super simple once you know how to do it, but it's great because it kills the bacteria, and like the lime, it's just like they hate anything like that has bacteria like that. And lime hate ozone, oxygen. So you're just giving us so much great information here, just, you know, from lime and beyond. But the one thing I want to ask you before I hand it back to Rich is you mentioned earlier, you did a wide variety of detox protocols as well. And you mentioned we touched on coffee enemas and we touched on dry brushing, and I'm sure there's some others you have done. So can you talk to us about detoxing in general and what specifically you have done in that arena to help your body detox? Sure. I mean, the first thing is you got to clean off your, like clean up your home. Like if you haven't done that, meaning like, are you still using plastics? Are you still using like, you know, are you still cooking with like, um, your cookware? Does it still have Teflon, you know, nine stick on it? Like anything that you look around, like as you start replacing things, like if you're buying ketchup, spend the extra 25 cents and get like the Heinz organic ketchup. You might not think it makes a difference. It does. If something's organic, it cannot be genetically modified. And so anything that has like a GMO in there, it's think about it. It's been created in a lab, so it's not good for you. So do not like use it. So anything you can buy that's organic, any of like your shampoos or any body products, just 
clean up like that. Just as you go through the day, just kind of look around and be like, is this clean? Is it, I mean, you can make yourself go crazy, right? Cause they tell you, you're not supposed to even have carpets on the floor and you're not supposed to have like the organic bedding and like your pillow, you should change out like to organic. So all this stuff, cause they all have flame retardants on it, unless it's organic. Um, so like you can really kind of dive deep into it, which I have done like 20 years ago, I was already kind of on this path. Um, so doing all that, like cleaning up your day-to-day life anyway. So I, um, do detox everything where you like, um, you know, so it's like the, you're, you're, like what I was saying, like the home. And then also like, you're like, do like, I do saunas every day. I do like either the enema, I do something every day. That's kind of making helps my belt body eliminate stuff making sure you go to the bathroom every day. If you're not making sure you take some kind of like herbal supplements or something that makes sure you're like detoxing every day. So you have to do something every day. So Mimi, let's talk about your journey and the positive elements of your journey. And we did, um, we do, I do have to confess to our listeners that we had a conversation uh, before we started interviewing you. And you told me you were going to be our first guest that said <laughs> that there's nothing good about her Lyme journey. I'm going to, I'm going to challenge you anyway. Okay. Is there anything, anything at all you found about this journey that you considered to be beautiful and, and, and transformational. Okay. Well, that wasn't the question you, okay. you, had, you, you had mentioned that like, Oh, if people were to do it again, they would do it, still do it. And I understand that question. Like I had a bad accident when I was a little, when I was 14 years old and I still can't move my left hand and my left arm. It was really bad. And if you said to me, you could do it over again, I don't like, you know what I mean? Like, would you do it over again? Like I, that experience to me has made me who I am today. And so I get what you're talking about maybe it's because I'm still in it and I'm still in pain and I'm still like, I haven't gotten through the other side where it's robbed me of my life that it's been just, it's been really, really hard. Um, so, and I don't think people, you know, I never understood why people committed suicide. I, I could, could never, I could, I could never get my head around it. Like I never understood, like how can someone's life be that bad that they would want to commit? Like, I just didn't understand. I couldn't understand it. Having gone through what I've gone through, I understand it now because if I didn't have the financial resources and I didn't have the family support and I was just, you know, a 25, 26 year old with no money and no support, I don't know why you would continue living, having what we have. So it's, it's a disease that I don't think the mental part is talked about enough. It's awful because on top of it, you feel like you're crazy because every doctor you go to tells you you're crazy and to go see a psychiatrist. So it's a, so it's not like, like at least cancer, people have sympathy for you and people, there's a protocol, like you're going to do this, this, and this, and then you're going to get better. And it's going to be covered by insurance. And you have people dropping off casseroles for you. It's hard. I'm not like negating cancer, but this is equivalent to cancer without having the financial resources, not having a path, not having the financial support, I mean, the, the support, emotional support, because people think you're nuts, like, right? So it's like having cancer, but without any of the positives of having cancer. But with that being said- um, There's no structural or systemic protections in place for people who have Lyme disease, the way yeah. there are for people who have cancer or other other types of disease. Yeah. I mean, I think they're like band-aided together, right? I mean, they're nothing like by the government or the insurance company. We as a community, like what you're doing and what, what I'm doing, we're creating that, right? But that's completely grassroots. Like that's so, not- Well, let's get to that because I think that's the beauty of the journey, right? Especially mm -hmm. your journey, which is why we were so excited to have you on the podcast. Yeah. Yep. Because you would not be doing Lime 360 and the work you're doing in the community 
if you didn't have this challenge, you wouldn't right. have the ability to now make the uh, observations about the changes that have to be made so that people don't have to have this terrible journey if you didn't go on the journey. So talk about that piece of yep. calling you to contribute as much as you're contributing. Well, it's funny because when I first got it and then I like the, after that first year and I started feeling better, I was like, okay, I don't ever want to mention the word Lyme again. I don't want to bring it up. Like it's gone. Like it's, it's in a box, like moving on. I, I just want to move on with my life. And then I got sick again with it. And, and that's when I was like, okay, I have to embrace this and I have to keep and do what I normally do in my life with like business stuff, but do it with Lyme, you know? And so that's why I created the community to be able to share and even for myself, like I've been researching, researching, and then I'm not sharing it. And like, that's kind of crazy. Like I need to have a platform that I'm sharing what I'm learning. I'm a huge learner. I'm always trying things out. I'm always reading. I'm always talking to people. I love talking to doctors. Like the difference with my podcast is I don't really, I don't talk to patients that much. I really talk to doctors and people who are doing treatments because I love learning what they're doing and what's out there and what's next and what's different and what's working or not working. And how each person approaches Lyme. So for me, selfishly, I like talking to all these people. Um, but I also want to keep sharing and have a place where I'm documenting as I'm learning, because I just, I don't, it's just one of those things where it doesn't make sense to me how it's not more simplified or it's not more like in like, how, how are these, like how there's not a, like a solution and how there's not a treatment and how it's not covered by insurance. I mean, even when I had a CDC thing that said I had classified for Lyme with like seven, whatever. And I went to a doctor that was giving me antibiotics. I was spending $1,500 a week on antibiotics. It still wasn't covered by insurance. Like, how is that possible? I'm taking antibiotics from a doctor with a CDC like test that says I have Lyme and it's still not covered. I mean, the amount of money I have spent fighting this disease is criminal. And I'm still not better. And so I can't imagine, I mean, it's just heartbreaking that all these other people who don't have the resources, I, I don't know what they do. And so that's why I'm trying to create a community that is giving people a platform to get information for free and to be able to connect to people on, you know, on my Facebook and have a community of people. You know, And some of the messages I've gotten from people are just heartbreaking. Like, I don't wanna live anymore it's just awful. It, it, the whole thing is awful. Um, but I'm hoping by having this community, um, you know, it, it's allowed me to do this, which has been really interesting. So that's a great positive. Like I never would have thought I'd be on a podcast on camera. Like I was always kind of shy when it came to that, like talking, I hate my voice. <laughs> so having a, like a podcast, I'm like, Oh my God, I, I can't even listen to my, like when I do like my intros, someone's like, Oh, you gotta, I'm like, I don't listen to them. They'll tell me what's wrong with it. I can't listen to my voice. So I've never listened to any of my podcasts. Um, so I'm doing well, it. But I, I'm, I've listened to many of them and they're very good. Oh, thank you. But I don't listen to them. Cause I'm so like, I don't like my voice. So I just like, don't like, I, I can't do it, but, um, but I'm doing it. Cause I'm hoping that somebody else doesn't feel alone and can heal quicker than I can. And maybe they, if they give up gluten, they'll save four years of their life from being sick. If they gave it up quicker than I did or, or dairy or alcohol, or, you know, like whatever, like whatever that thing is going to make that difference or that change in your life maybe they'll learn quicker than I did. I'm a slow learner. So Mimi, we really have to thank you for everything you're doing for the community. And we, we are, are, are really thankful of you taking the time from your very busy family and all of your children to, um, to participate in this podcast. But I do have one more ask of you. And that is, if God forbid, one of your children walked into your room right after this podcast and had a tick biting him or her on the arm, 
What is it that you would do to make sure that they would not have to go on the terrible chronic journey that you've been on? Oh, I would put them on doxycycline without a doubt. That's what I tell anybody, anybody, no, no matter like, do not wait for the test to come back. The problem with those, like that when you send them in, there's so many different like cofactors, right? And like, how do you know? I mean, there's hundreds of them and they're not testing for every single one of them. So how do you know, like, don't even bother waiting, just get your doctor and, and to write the prescription and don't even wait. Like that was the biggest mistake of my life, honestly. Thank you for listening to the Tick Bootcamp interview with our guest, Mimi McLean. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Mimi McLean and her Lyme disease journey, please visit our Instagram page at Lyme360 and subscribe to her podcast, Heal. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of the post. Third, Tick Bootcamp has created a Tick Bite blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been shared with us by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at www.tickbootcamp.com to view the blueprint. Please note we would appreciate any input or any improvements you would like to share with us. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, please take a minute to leave us an honest review and rating on iTunes or our website. As always, we thank you for listening.